Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on a strange day here in the capital. The streets are bare, but our conversation is not. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Chirag Gawala, founder and chief executive of TripCenter.net, a firm reinventing and simplifying the way one books ground transport. Chirag, hello. Hi, good morning, Matthew. Good morning. Thank you for coming on the program. We might as well um, discuss the elephant in the room. You're in the travel business. Uh, currently, yeah. we're in the middle of uh, uh, an unprecedented national shutdown. How has COVID-19 affected your business? Uh, in one word, uh, tremendously. Uh, the revenues have completely evaporated worldwide uh, in the travel sector. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, the impact actually started, obviously, from China, but uh, now it's coming into Europe and America. So you can imagine uh, the travel industry suffering uh, massively uh, with their daily losses running into billions of dollars. And how um, are you dealing with this? Have you made any special arrangements or have you just shut down entirely for the time being? Uh, for the time being, because in a way we are quite lucky because our is a completely online um, business model. So uh, remote working is not a problem for us, uh, which is actually good for us in a way. But uh, knowing that uh, the countries have been shut down completely, the travel is completely curtailed, uh, flights are not running. So uh, whether you're an offline business or online, online business, uh, every single small or medium or large company has been impacted by this, uh, uh, by this uh, COVID-19 situation that is uh, ongoing. And uh, in terms of uh, our UK operations, uh, obviously everyone is working from home uh, and we must follow the guidelines because it is having a major impact. And we have seen that happen in our offices in China and India where you know we are seeing from the past three, three months of experience that it is better and safer to stay home rather than to roam around or go to offices. Do you have a plan for when this is over and how to um, restart? Restart? Uh, that's, a good, that's a great question, Matthew. Uh, as of now, uh, the plan is that we are sitting tight on on everything. We are not making any provisions for any of the future or even the imminent expansion plans or, or marketing or, or sales activities uh, because that would just be wasting money effectively. Uh, in terms of, uh, we are hoping that uh, in three months uh, the situation improves, and as soon as it improves, we sincerely hope that uh, you know the world starts moving again. So once the world starts moving again, we are very very hopeful that things will start uh, to improve as well. Of course, it will take some time because the knock-on impact has been massive on pretty much all the businesses worldwide, and whether trip center or whether it's less travel or whether it's pretty travel or any any anybody you look around. So, uh, from my experience uh, of the past 20 years, uh, we think that uh, this theme is not going to impact with last of this a year or two. Well, let's uh, pivot back to the subject of leadership. Now, long-time listeners of the program will know I always like to start this conversation out by simply asking you, 
What does the word leader mean to you? The word leader, uh, I think that you must, in my opinion, it, it's a very simple definition. You must be there for your people, whether it's your staff, whether it's your colleagues, whether it's your employees. Uh, you need to be standing by them in tough times and good times. Now, how would you describe your personal leadership style? It's come as a progression. Uh, I'm not a born leader, uh, <laughs> which is, uh, but uh, yeah, it, it comes through my progression over a number of years because I started uh, my very first company when I was only 23 or 24 years old. So it has been a very steep learning curve. It, it's not been an easy, easy process, but uh, you know, once you once you go through that uh, cycle, you learn your trade and you learn to deal with things uh, as and when you go along. So. Every day, I would say there is no set definition in, in, in a way uh, for a leadership, but, uh, you know, it's always on-the-job learning, whether you are a leader or whether you are a manager or whether you are a clerk. It's always constantly learning curve at any position. Mm. Well, let's, uh, let's talk about the beginning of your career. You said how a leadership is developed within you. Uh, were there any yeah. particular influences on you when you are first starting out in the world of work who really shaped you as you are today? For me, uh, I you know, London is my home, and I believe what London has given me as a as a city and the UK as a country, uh, you know, I'm eternally grateful uh, mm. because I am. For me, I'm a first generation immigrant from India. I came with 324 pounds in my pocket. My very first business I started with 2,000 pound loan from Princess Trust uh, back in 2000. Uh, I can't remember exact year. Uh, some somewhere in, in mid 2000s. So. Uh, you, you know, uh, the way I look at things is a little bit different perspective than a lot of uh, top-down leadership. I look at it from the bottom up, which I told that how you can build a business and how you can sustain and survive. And we have seen a lot of uh, difficult times. Obviously, the, uh, the financial crisis we have seen, we have mm. seen uh, global slowdown after that. Uh, so we have gone through uh, enough. Uh, we understand how to sustain and survive. And uh, the most important thing we always tell our people is... Uh, just to sit tight, uh, you know, you have to just ride out the storm. Uh, worst case scenario is that, you know, you have someone to lease or some, you know, cut downs in the, in the, you know, people you don't want them to go. But, uh, you know, there, there comes a time in any business where you have to make some hard choices. Now, so, of course, hard yeah, so for me. Sorry, please carry on. No, no, please go ahead. Of course, uh, everyone in business at the moment is having to make hard choices when it comes to uh, whether they're going to be keeping staff on or uh, whether even their business model is sustainable in the face of COVID-19. Um, but that will, of course, eventually lead to conflict and every business has conflict. Um, of course, uh, humans aren't always at their best. They're certainly not infallible. How do you resolve conflict within your workplace? Conflicts, uh, generally, they are very easy to resolve as long as you are talking to people who make, uh, you know, there has to be some sort of understanding on, on, on you know, on every side uh, of the argument. And uh, generally, the way I look at things is uh, if there is an argument, there is a solution for everything. Right. So uh, if there is no solution, that means the problem does not exist. It's simple as that. So... As long as two sides, whether it's myself or whether it's any colleagues or anybody having any issues anywhere, I mean, 
we have a very open flow of policy. You know, our, our offices are completely open plan, so we don't have any sort of uh, walls around us, even including myself. So, you know, everything is approachable and everything is open. So that, that creates that environment of harmony rather than having to have any sort of uh, cultural classes or or anything like that, or political issues within the office environment. But the benefit of uh, our industry, whether you are looking at transport or travel or anywhere, is that you know you work with uh, colleagues from across the spectrum, whether you look at Chinese or the Thai or the Indian or the Malaysian or you know, the Italians or the Spanish or the Americans or the British. Everybody is there for a reason, effectively. And that, that actually helps us uh, in understanding each other's cultures, each other's uh, way of doing things. So that sort of, uh, you know, it's, it's a very good mix in a way. And understanding different cultures is a very, very important aspect in today's ever-evolving global uh, business scenarios, uh, whether you are a one-person company or one-million people company. Understanding cultures is a very, very important thing. Now, unfortunately, uh, the one thing that we can't change with understanding is our time. Uh, We have run out of it. Uh, Now, before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for TripCenter.net? We are uh, hopeful. Uh, We are just hoping that this uh, starts uh, sort of dying down, the wire situation. And I sincerely hope uh, people follow the guidelines that the government is issuing because it's extremely important that we do what they are telling us to do. We have seen that already in India and China and also in the U.S. through our offices, networks, where our colleagues have have been in in sort of effective lockdown for nearly three months in China and India has started before even UK started. So we know exactly how important it is that we keep distance and stay indoors for now. And what this all sort of starts settling down, you can see that slowly, slowly, slowly China is opening up. For whatever reason, we don't, don't know what's going on there, but at least it's starting to open up. So we are hopeful that uh, in the second half of the year, things will improve. And that's, that's my hope at least for now. Well, Chirag, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to you on leadership today. And I hope that I can thank have you, you back much. on the program uh, when uh, this is all over. Chirag, thank you. Thank you very much indeed. That was Chuag Godwala, founder and chief executive of TripCenter.net. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, just... yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, <laughs> one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. 
And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that caliber can have a huge influence on your, your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days, um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like, uh, Ron, uh, there, it's also important to have, uh, uh, confidence with, your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did again mm-hmm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, w- would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South 
Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Jeff Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict. But at the time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team, but uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of. Thinking I at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position, and somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? 
Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, 
you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you that if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today, uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently, since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. 
And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I, going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We have some great I players, it, we have some great players, of course, but without the attitude uh, alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team, the, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single minded. Uh, Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm I'm sure there's not uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks 
um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, go over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.